welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for joining. Thank you for all of those who support video content like this through your subscription to Substack, or my Substack rather, joshsummer.substack.com. Please check that out if you have not already. Uh, there is a free option, so if you are, um, you know, if you, if you if you have not determined to, you know, uh, give anything financially then uh, there is still a benefit to subscribing to the newsletter. And um, you can choose to upgrade your sub- subscription at any point uh, in the future. And, um, and all that is is just, uh, it's just, it's just helpful. Uh, uh, it's a helpful stream of income that allows me to continue producing content like this. This does take extra time, and I can't neglect my other duties, so this time usually carves into, uh, you know, time that, I could be resting or whatever, so it's it it does take uh, take some extra time and some extra commitment, and uh, and so it definitely most certainly helps to uh, to have some uh, some financial support uh, for the time spent on this. So if uh, if you uh, would like to subscribe to the newsletter again, just go to joshsummer.substack.com, um, and uh, much of the content on there can also be found on my website joshsummer.org, um, but some of it uh, is exclusive to. Uh, that website, um, Substack, and 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 some of it will be exclusive to uh, premium subscribers. Thank you for tuning in through iTunes, Spotify, all of the different platforms out there. If you're watching on YouTube, click the subscribe button if you haven't already. And um, by the end of this video, if if you are blessed, if this is helpful for you, then please click the thumbs up button. If not, click the thumbs down button and let me know what I can do better. So I, you know, um, part of the, you know, part of the problem with the, with the current discussion on, on, well, there's two forks of it, you know, two fork ends, I guess you could say, uh, natural theology and the doctrine of God. I'm most concerned about the doctrine of God, but there seems to be correlation between one's view of natural theology and the rejection of first principles and how one ends up concluding, you know, their doctrine of God from uh, from Scripture. This is a perennial problem. This is an issue that Christians have faced for 2,000 years. Um, it's also an issue that has given rise to a lot of heresy. Um, the anthropomorphites uh, did not, most certainly did not uh, approach the Scripture, uh, you know, by instrumental means of, of first principles. And um, and as a result, you you see where their exegesis led them. They weren't dummies. Uh, Arius was not an idiot. He would have known the Greek. Uh, he would have he would have known how to how to read, you know, the pages of Scripture in the original language. And um, and and so you know why is it that you know someone like Arius? is forming, you know, heretical conclusions from virtually the same evidence that, uh, that you know, the Orthodox Christians were looking at, i.e. the Scriptures. Um, and, and that's because Arius was approaching the text with bad metaphysics. He was approaching the text with a, either a rejection of or, or a replacement of uh, good first principles revealed through creation. A lot of moderns reject uh, uh, certain biblical realities uh, and truths because, uh, or they misinterpret them 
because they are assuming Hegelian philosophy, and they don't know it. They And they refuse to say that they're assuming Hegelian philosophy. They, they say, well, I don't believe in philosophy, I believe in the Bible. Well, really what they're assuming is Kantian idealism, uh, the Hegelian dialectic, you know, things like that in their thinking. They don't consciously, they're not consciously aware of that, but this is the milieu we've been born into. All right, so let me let me explain something. One of the confusions as of late is that uh, that myself and others teach that Christians must go to the old Greek philosophers and learn from them if they are to understand the scriptures rightly or if they are to do true theology. And that's simply not true. Again, this is a, a situation in which we need to make a distinction between persons and the truth they speak on. All right, so... Um, Plato could say 2 plus 2 equals 4, and that would be true, but you, you, but you wouldn't then conclude that, well, 2 plus 2 equals 4 is distinctly platonic, and because 2 plus 2 equals 4 came out of a Platonist, uh, namely the great Plato himself, we should reject it, right? No, all truth is God's truth, and so it's and it's not altogether unwarranted. Even in uh, you know, if you take Calvin as your precedent, he goes to Aristotle, and and he quotes Aristotle favorably in some areas. Um, it, it's not altogether unwarranted to go to the philosophers just to quote them in terms of the truth that they taught, and reject the stuff that's not true, obviously. Um, but where they speak truly, they speak truly. And all truth is God's truth. And so if it's true and if it applies to us, especially in terms of hermeneutics and interpreting the Bible and, and, and coming to a right understanding of who God is, then that truth has to bind our conscience. If it's true, it's God's truth. It's not Aristotle's truth. It's not Plato's truth. There's, we're not relativists here. You know, uh, there aren't multiple grains of truth uh, or strains of truth, rather. Uh, that are that are subjectively, you know, construed based on you know individual different minds. Uh, we we believe in one truth, and that the one truth is is God's truth, ultimately perfected in God Himself. And so, um, when when persons are quoted, when persons are defended, like think of Thomas Aquinas, for example, in this most recent discussion and debate, um, it, it's not the person themselves being defended. You know, it's 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 the truth they are. Um, it's the truth that they are articulating in their writings. So we need to make that distinction so that our criticism, so that your guys's criticism of me, isn't inaccurate, right? And I wouldn't want to do the same thing with 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 respect to you all. So um, when you come out and say. You know, you're all fanboys of Aquinas. Well, that's just that's an unfair criticism. That's not that's not the case. Uh, there are truths that Thomas taught that we've adopted and appropriated into our the way we think about theology, and we've done that because we see it as either necessary or uh, as biblically uh, as biblically uh, required. So um, it's not just an arbitrary fandom. I mean, maybe it is in some you know backwoods you know, area of scholasticism, but it's not just, it's not just some, you know, arbitrary fandom of a person, a personality, personality worship. Um, and so I'm asking you all 
if you disagree with me, which is fine, to make that distinction. All right, because I've not seen that distinction made on y'all's side um, yet. The other thing I would like to do is I would like to make some definitional distinctions that I hope will be carried on into the other side and how the other side interacts with us. All right, so um, one of one of those distinctions has uh, is is the one that I've been making this whole time. I just want to remind everyone. Natural revelation, natural theology are distinct. Both, both sides are saying this, that natural theology and natural revelation are not the same thing. Okay, so we, we're, we're both saying that. We're both making that claim. What's the manner in which they're not the same? Okay, because, because my interlocutors will say, well, they're not the same in the sense that natural revelation is the, is the right version and natural theology is the wrong uh, natural theology is the wrong alternative to natural revelation so they're they're not just distinct they're opposed to one another they're opposites and they're opposite alternatives to one another and natural theology is seen as the unbiblical option natural revelation is seen as the biblical option so that's as far as I understand it that's your guys' side all right that's my interlocutors that's my uh, opponents if I could use that word side okay I believe that natural revelation and natural theology are distinct but related and interrelated. Um, natural revelation is what is. That is what God has revealed. And natural theology is the science of studying what God has revealed. Okay, um, let me read you a, a, a part of a definition of Theologia uh, Naturalis in the Latin um dictionary that uh, Richard Muller put together very helpfully. Theologi uh, Theologia Naturalis is just the Latin for natural theology, okay? So uh, I'm just reading his words here. Um, he says, it is the knowledge of God that is available to reason through the revelation of God in the natural order. So did you guys hear that distinction? So there's a distinction between the revelation in the natural order and the natural theology, which is it is describing that term is describing a knowledge, a knowing that is available through the revelation that God has has revealed, okay, in creation. So that's how they're distinct. Natural theology is the area of study. It's the area of knowing what God has revealed, all right? So they're not two uh, opposed alternatives, right? They're, they're two distinct uh, categories uh, one deals with the ontology, we might say, the, the what is, that's God's revelation, it's objective. Um, there's no way that it could be different depending how we think of it. It's it's there in the world, all right? And then natural theology describes our uh, apprehension of it, all right? Uh, our coming to knowledge of it, okay? So that's how they're distinct. Um, and then he gets more specific in terms of the historical uh, understanding of natural theology. Hear what he has to say. Again, this is in the same place. And if you have this this edition, uh, it's the, the Dictionary of Latin and Greek Theological Terms. Richard Muller is very, very helpful. Very helpful. I would recommend that everyone in this discussion pick up this book. Even if you disagree with me or whatever, and those of you who, who, who agree with me, you guys need to pick up this book because you're going to, you're going to, you need to understand the categories 
and the the terms that are being thrown around. And these are terms, these are not over cumbersome terms. Uh, these are terms that, that were used regularly in the in the Reformed Orthodox language. Um, these are terms used, re- th- these are terms, the reason Muller put this together is that these are terms found in the, uh, in the Reformed and the post-Reformational corpus of literature. And, and, and so these are, these are definitions that define these terms uh, uh, within that context, within that theological context. So it's very helpful. And if you want to know what I'm talking about or anyone else is talking about when they're talking about natural theology or natural revelation, you can, you can pick up this book and you can read through it and you can go to these key terms and, and, and read a very uh, well put together, well thought out definition that's both lexical and historical. So um, it's, it's very helpful for that reason. But he says this on natural theology. He says the Protestant Orthodox assume a distinction between theologia naturalis and theologia supernaturalis. Okay, so natural theology and supernatural theology. And he says they do not view natural revelation, human reason, or the light of nature, lumen naturae, considered in its corrupt state apart from supernatural revelation or natural theology as a foundation on which sacred theology can build. Okay. And we made a qualification because elsewhere, I forget what, which volume in PRRD, Muller does note, and it's apparent in Witsius, both in Witsius and Turretin, that they would use the language of foundations with regard to natural theology, but there's a very qualified usage, right? They're not they're not saying that, you know, the supernatural theology depends on the natural theology or that the supernatural theology is caused by the natural theology. So it's not foundational or fundamental in that sense. It's fundamental in this sense, right? Natural theology is. It, so it's not a, an absolute foundation on which sacred theology can build, but, he says, rather... They perceived it as instruments for use in exposition. What did they perceive as instruments for use in exposition? Uh, natural revelation, human reason, and the light of nature, lumen uh, naturae. So, uh, so natural revelation, uh, and then the natural theology, which is the study of that natural re- revelation, the apprehension of that natural revelation, are 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 first principles. We might say that help in exposing the scriptures and in expositing the truth and the doctrine of, of Holy Writ. Okay. This is, this is Muller's words. These aren't mine. This is, this is the historical understanding, uh, here. And he says, nonetheless, they assume that there can be a Christian natural theology developed as a form of philosophy with positive apologetic, propodeutic, and doxological uses. All right. So, in other words, there's a natural theology. It's it's common. It's common to all. It's derived from natural revelation. The unbeliever, of course, suppresses that truth and unrighteousness, and so corrupts it. And um, and you know we know the story there. Romans 1, 18 through twenty one. But he says, as Christians, now now that we've now that we've you know come to the other side, so to speak, through regeneration, and and now we 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 trust the scriptures to be true. Now we can develop a natural theology, a Christian natural theology, a, a, a philosophy on that side, right? And so now, be, and, and, and what he means by this is not a, not a biblicism, a, a development of natural theology out of the text of Scripture, but being Christians now, 
seeing nature in light of the text of Scripture, we can actually uh, we can actually uh, engage in natural theology in 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 the way it's supposed to be engaged. Um, and so there's a it, it's kind of an it's it's an odd dynamic because on one hand you're saying there's a natural revelation and a natural theology which is common to all that 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 precedes faith and is even assumed by faith in some in some ways. And if you want to know in in what way, just look at my video. It's a PowerPoint on nature grace. It's it's one of the more recent ones I've done. Uh, and and that's common to all. That that's that's useful only in terms of condemning the person who's suppressing the truth and in unrighteousness. So it's really not useful to them. Um, but it also it also provides some first principles. Turretson talks about this. Uh, that you know th these this is this is this this is the area where you have laws of logic. You have a, a basic knowledge of God per Romans one, right? And and there are there are assumptions being made when a person comes to the text. And of course, they're going to come to the text. They're going to be able to read it. They're going to be able to make sense of some of it. Um, you know, you, you know, people who, who, who say they believe the gospel, they say, yeah, I think it's true. I don't deny the existence of Jesus or his work or anything. I just don't appropriate that to myself through faith. Right. And, and that's because they're not regenerate, right? God has not worked a, a lively faith in them, but they come to a, a, an intellectual ascent of the scriptures, um, and they're able to do that, of course, because there there are some there are some natural principles at work that enable them to make sense of the text. Right, the meaning of the word God. Well, they already know God. Right, when they come to the text, they know who God is. They know most basically that God is that being than which nothing greater can be conceived. Um, everybody everybody knows that. They know it intuitively, and they also know it. Uh, you know, acquiescently, we might say they acquire it through creation, through that which has been made, according to Romans one. That's the twofold knowledge, the uh, twofold uh, supernatural or twofold natural knowledge of God, twofold natural theology. Uh, the distinction that that Turretin makes between uh, innate and and acquired knowledge there. Um, so the uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that we make this distinction between natural revelation and natural theology and then we make a further distinction when we when we get into the matter and we say well uh, natural theology is an instrument by which we um, you know ex exposit the scriptures um, it, it can be useful in that regard, it, just like it's an instrument in terms of uh, in terms of enforcing jurisprudence or, ju or, or 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 law in any given society. Excuse me. Um, natural theology is 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 important in that regard, um, and of course we suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and so our 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 efforts to to formulate a jurisprudence off of natural laws is is marred and in error, but it's not altogether in error. It's not as bad as it could be. Um, that's for sure. So when we're talking about the sufficiency, how do we carry this over? What, when, and where am I going with this? The sufficiency of scripture has been brought up as of recent. Um, and it, the thought goes, well, these guys, including myself are, are saying that you know we need philosophy in order to understand the text, and this this has implications on the sufficiency of Scripture. It's basically like saying that Scripture is not sufficient. Um, well, you have to define what Scripture is sufficient for, 
And I think the Reformed Confessions do that quite well. Um, but you also you also need to understand uh, the implications of such a a a uh, trivial objection, I guess. Uh, the implications are well. If I need eyes to read Scripture, then Scripture must not be sufficient because I'm relying on a physical body part to read and under, understand Scripture. If I have to understand grammar, logic to some extent, uh, and be literate to some extent, uh, then Scripture must not be sufficient because you know I'm assuming I'm assuming certain things that could be considered philosophical tools before I come to the text of Scripture. Um, so you have to be very careful to define what the sufficiency of Scripture is, right? And what is the teleology of Scripture? What is the final cause of Scripture? And then define sufficiency of scripture, uh, uh, the sufficiency of the Scripture in that regard. Uh, scripture is sufficient in terms of redemptive knowledge, providing everything required in terms of redemption and redemptive knowledge, what we must believe unto our salvation. But Scripture doesn't doesn't teach the laws of thought. Uh, scripture doesn't teach grammar. It doesn't teach logic. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't teach. Um, you know, taxes and things like that, and and um, and etymology and and all of these things that are that are basically assumed in any kind of mid-level interpretational effort of scripture. And so that's why the 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 post-reformed, especially, and and you have this definition of natural theology here. That says these things are instruments which we use to interpret the scripture. They're not. They're not. Uh, they're not causes of scripture itself. They're not absolute foundations of scripture itself. Um, God introduces scripture and reveals Himself through scripture and His will through scripture, in addition to nature, not out of nature. Okay, so it's not fundamental in that sense or foundational in that sense, but. We mu- but in the epistemological sense, we must have these, these instruments, we must have these tools in our toolbox, consciously or unconsciously, wittingly or unwittingly, before we come to the pages of Scripture. Grammar, logic, uh, a belief that God exists and that, uh, that He has a will, um, and that, and that you, you have sinned, uh, that there is a law that you've transgressed. Actually, th- those are all things that would... That would that would uh, account for the impulse to read scripture. Why else would you think it would be important to read or hear or listen to scripture if it weren't for those uh, natural laws? We might say, working as instruments, working in the in an instrumental causal sense, uh, so that you can better understand the text of scripture and and even account for your own interest in it to some extent. Why would a sinner who's unregenerate walk into a church to hear the word of God? unless they perceive that there's something wrong, right? That there's something that they need. I mean, and that's those are all the words that they would probably use even, because they're not going to use all the high philosophical and theological language that we might be able to use, this side of, of coming to the faith and having studied. Um, but they know intuitively and, and through the light of nature that they have fallen short of something whether it be just as nebulous as goodness, they've fallen short of goodness, they've wrecked their lives, they know that there has to be a change made. These are all things that, 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 that are known through nature and that account for why a person would even walk, an unregenerate person would even walk into the doors of, uh, walk through the doors of, of your church. And of course, uh, in the providential working of the Holy Spirit as well.
but the Spirit uses means. And natural theology is a means that the Spirit uses to draw. I've said this about apologetical argumentation for a long time, that you know, we're not, we're not trying to, we don't think that through our rational argumentation as it sits by itself in isolation is going to convince a reprobate to change his ways, right? That's not why we do it. We do it in hopes, rather, that the Spirit would use that as an instrument to draw that person, right? And so that's, that's you know, the right understanding, I believe, of apologetics. And I think that's what the Reformers and the post-Reformed are getting at with, with this understanding of natural theology, that it's an instrument. And it's a very important instrument. So this is why I think there's so much doctrine of God issues going on, because this instrument is being rejected, and it's either being replaced or just rejected, and it's leaving the, the person to, to, to read Scripture without these tools that uh, a person must assume. And now you have, you have people who have come to a knowledge of these tools, and now they're actively trying to, to, to suppress them and, 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 and throw them to the wind, and they're coming to uh, bad conclusions. Uh, concerning what the Bible teaches about God. So uh, hopefully this video was helpful. If it was, uh, click the thumbs up. Give me a thumbs down if it wasn't. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Again, joshsummer.substack.com. Check that out. Subscribe to my newsletter. Would be glad to have you on there as well. Goodbye.